0: Welcome to AAPI's at Oakden, where we talk about all things related to the Asian American Pacific Islander community at Oakden College. My name is Deer and I am your host. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a while since our last episode. I took some time to rest and prepare for this year's PC grant activities. As you know, we created this podcast as part of our professional development series, highlighting Asian Americans in our community. Doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work in higher education, emphasizing uplifting the Asian American community in the Midwest is challenging. Part of it is because there's so few of us doing the advocacy work in the leadership level. Because one of my personal goals is to be a DEI officer, I decided to look up Asian Americans who are serving as a chief DEI officer across colleges and universities in the Chicagoland area. To my surprise, I only found two. But luckily, they're pretty close from Oakton. For the next two episodes, we will be spending time with Dr. Anthony Ramos, the Chief of Equity, Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging Officer at Elgin Community College. Dr. Ramos is no stranger to Oakden College. Previously, he worked as the manager of Transitions and Persistence and now he teaches sociology part-time at the college. In our first part, we will discuss Dr. Ramos's journey to the DEI role and how he defined diversity, equity, and inclusion in action. Let's listen. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for hanging out with me today. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. I'm doing well. You're yeah. doing well.
0: How yeah. was the drive this morning?
1: Not bad at all. It actually took me back memory lane from my uh, days here at Oakden. So, yeah, uh-huh. I took my, my old route. So,
0: oh, okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations on your elevated title.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Because I remember
0: you. when I met you, you were like the executive director then and now with the elevated position. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you become Chief DEI?
1: It's interesting because the, the title change recently was to align with best practices for uh, folks who are in roles like mine. And it was an opportunity to, one, symbolize positionality mm-hmm. at the, the cabinet level and where... Um, there's a lot of opportunity to have influence across the institution. Uh, but yeah, the journey, been, it's been pretty interesting. A little bit of background. So I'm um, the son of uh, an uh, immigrant uh, mother who was mostly uh, a single mom, uh, kind of on and off during my younger days. But uh, my mom was a doctor in the Philippines. And when mm-hmm. she came to uh, the United States due to kind of health and other issues, um, wasn't able to practice medicine here. And so as I think about uh, what she instilled in me for education and, um, how important it was for me to get an education. It it really kind of shaped, um, what I thought I wanted to do when I was younger and kind of hearing her voice and saying, well, you know, keep working towards the things that will help you be successful. And so Mm -hmm. she she always joked that, um, you know, someday maybe you'll be executive. And (laughs) I said, I don't know about that mom. And at the time I wanted to be a, a pharmacist, but, um, Life took me in different directions through um, my college experience i had a chance to engage in like some identity affirming experiences um, and worked with mentors who said hey higher education is a viable career and so when i stepped into the field i had a lot of great opportunities to um, move into roles that were unique my first professional position was a resident director but it was in communities, um, learning communities at Santa Clara University, themed on faith and social justice, diversity and civic engagement. And so I had the opportunity to work with faculty that were doing some really great related programming in our halls and really kind of dive in. So I'd been a resident director in those learning communities. um, Then I shifted to working at Loyola, where I worked in first and second year advising. And uh, I had a chance to work with our conditionally admitted students. It was a group of students who were originally told Uh, You didn't meet the GPA requirement or the um, uh, ACT score for traditional admission. We put them through a three-week intensive program and a Mm year-long kind of leadership development. Um, But it was this group of students who, while they might have come in saying, oh, I got to do this program, within three weeks of giving them intensive support, they thrived. It was was amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the challenge was some of them were not able to financially afford to continue in future years. And so um, when I looked for my next professional position, which brought me to Oakton, um, I really started looking at the community college. And I think this kind of shift here allowed me to uh, really think about you know how we can do what's right for students and serve more folks who need support and uh, lift them up in their communities Give them viable careers and a jump start to their educational journey and so and my first position here was a coordinator for retention and orientation it was an exciting time to come to oakton mm-hmm. uh, oakton was just joining achieving the dream um, there were a lot of increasing conversations around student success how we use data um, and multiple things were kind of happening simultaneously like i had the chance to serve in Um, some leadership capacities, uh, leading some of the student success team subgroups. Um, We were moving towards, I think, mandatory new student orientation. There was a revision of academic advising. Um, And and we were doing it through this equity lens of looking through data and thinking about what can we do to improve the outcomes for students. Mm -hmm. And I I absolutely loved it. And um, simultaneously, I also started teaching in sociology. So getting that foot in the door in the classroom was... um, such amazing to work with our students here, to work alongside our faculty, um, and really bridge that academic student affairs gap. But, but I share that as the role that I had after here, and talking about kind of uh, untraditional movement through higher ed, I became an assistant dean working with uh, adjunct faculty at uh, College of DuPage. And so I, I did that role for a few years, and then, uh, you know, COVID hit, and a lot of uh, transitions were happening. Um, My last year at COD, I got to step in and serve as an interim dean, and so I had the arts, communication, and hospitality division, and continuing to support the faculty and the things that were happening uh, through COVID, but also bringing an equity lens to some of the work that we were doing there. Um, And honestly, my current um, role—I remember seeing it posted, and I was like, I don't know. I think for me, I questioned my readiness, um, but I also um, know some of that's internalized, right? uh, Sometimes we talk ourselves out of opportunities and um, kind of debate, are are we ready for these types of roles? I knew it was inaugural. I didn't know much ab- about Elgin at the time. And um, it was actually a colleague here from Oakton who messaged me on LinkedIn and said, I know the president. I know what he's looking for. I think you have the skill sets. Would you at least consider applying I remember applying and going through the process and just being so in awe of some of the work that they had done, uh, the commitment of the folks on the search committee, um, and just reading more on some of the things that they were doing, that uh, Elgin was doing. It it was an opportunity to kind of step into a role where some of the foundational work had been done, um, and there was this desire and hunger to take the work to the next level.
0: So I really appreciate you really painting the picture because, you know, to get to where you are it yeah. it's a lot of journey. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. And and and,
1: and 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 it's so true and sometimes we have to be the ones that advocate for the experiences that will put us on that journey too. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm grateful to have had folks that have been willing to support my professional development, mm-hmm. to give me critical feedback and to help me kind of think about what are those skills and experiences that'll help me move to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I Uh, Sebastian, uh, Dr. Contreras, um, he was probably one of the supervisors who gave me some of the most critical feedback that made me put things in perspective. Um, He had known that I was looking to uh, promote. He even mentioned, you know, I know you've been on some interviews and uh, haven't landed um, the positions you were trying to go for. And he asked me this one question. Um, I still give him a hard time about it. Um, But in one of our uh, evaluations, Mm -hmm. you know, he was like, you know, are are you confident? And I was like, he's like, you've done a lot of great work. You've built strong relationships. And he's like, but do you think you're confident? And I was mad. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm confident. (laughs) I'm absolutely confident. (laughs) Um, But then it it really got me thinking about how, how do I serve in a leadership capacity Mm To be confident about and and show that confidence of what I've done, and simultaneously why this work is important. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, especially as Asian Americans in the field, like a lot of times we do the work and we wait to be recognized, we wait to be shoulder tapped for opportunities, or um, you know we'll say well, we'll we'll let our work speak for it, rather than um, trying to claim space and demonstrate that we um that we deserve a seat at the table too and I've, I've had conversations with colleagues who you know and, and many colleagues of color who have said we uh, you know we're, we're we've been doing good work we show up we um, serve on committees mm-hmm. um, and you know we're waiting for that next opportunity um and then sometimes having folks say you know that critical feedback on how do I how do I promote how do I, how do I it's it's not a clear, like if, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? right? And so how do we get the opportunity to kind of think about those things? And so I think the critical feedback, but the opportunity for real strong professional development is I know I've certainly have benefited from and happy to work with anybody who's exploring those, those opportunities. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm curious if you could help me explain what, what DEI means and what that means in practice, because I've been in different spaces where they're talking about Resources for different uh, programs for the specific student population, mm-hmm. and when I was listening to what they're trying to do and how they allocate resources, I'm like, that's not equity. That's literally equality.
1: Mm, and okay. so,
0: from your lens, like, how would you define DEI in 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 practice? And if you can, how would you differentiate equality and equity in action? Because it's very overlapping.
1: You know, it, it's an interesting conversation because if we think about giving people what they need. Recognizing that one size doesn't fit all, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I try to kind of shift the conversation too when folks are are, are pushing. Uh, well, we need to just treat everybody the same, and you know, being able to disaggregate the data. I remember having some conversations with our board of trustees and um, kind of sharing. You know, when we looked at matriculation data, um, you know, a lot of times we look at our success data and our outcomes. But you know, what when I first got to Elgin, we were looking at matriculation data and. Just the process from the point of application to the point of enrolling in your first class, and seeing that there were gaps for our black or Latinx, our older adult students, 25 and older mm-hmm. um, women, and how those gaps kind of shifted over time but remained consistent. Well, if you think about it, the admission process is an equal process. Everyone has to complete an application, submit their transcripts or do placement navigate kind of an equal process to get to the end of enrolling in one class. But equitably, are different populations getting what they need or are our systems designed to, can we design our systems to reduce those gaps and provide supports where it's necessary? Um, Another analogy that I like to use is um, if you think about the plumbing in your home.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So you've got sinks, toilets, showers, what have you. and I might have one sink that is leaking, maybe five gallons an hour. Right. I've got another sink on the other side of the room that's leaking fifty gallons an hour. Mm-hmm. The system is the same. The way that water comes in your house and leaves your house is all mm-hmm. the same. But if I'm going to attack one issue, I'm I'm going for the fifty gallon an hour leak because yeah. it can cause the most damage. Exactly. Um, And I might need different tools. I might need different levels of expertise. Um, I might be making more runs to Home Depot for uh, (laughs) supplies. Mm -hmm. Um, I I might not have what I need to fully address and I need to think about what resources are necessary to solve the problem and fix the system so the water can flow in my home appropriately. And um, it, it reminds us that the systems in place were built um, in previous times. They've, uh, if there's a bigger gap or bigger leak, like where where's our attention to kind of try to close some gaps? And at the same time, we want a fully functioning and efficient system mm-hmm. for all. And so as I think about our equity work and kind of thinking about, um, you know, if we want to talk about equality, can we talk about equality in outcomes? Does every student and community member we serve get what they need to be successful and what I love about community colleges we are founded on the mission of access there's been a huge shift in the conversation of student success on the horizon we're talking about workforce outcomes right and how many students are moving into careers with livable wages that will sustain not just them but their families and the generations to follow but if we're not able to recognize where gaps exist in our systems, I think that's where the equity work really challenges us to to ask those questions. We recognize that there's a wide diversity that's served by community colleges. Uh, American Association of Community Colleges puts out every year a fast facts document that highlights the rich diversity that community colleges serves. But then how do we take that equity lens to think about how can we change, you know, Changing business as usual is hard, right? We we're Oh yes. <laughs> we're creatures yes. of habit. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. but to be able to ask, well, can can we try this differently? Can can we um and how are we looking at data in a way that is an autopsy data? A lot of times in higher ed, we look at the end of a student's journey and we're like, Oh, there's still gaps there, but what can we do in the interim to make those changes
0: but let me ask you this fun question like you've been you've been doing dei work at algin for 2.5 years (laughs) so so if you can help me describe like what's it like to be a chief diversity officer
1: oh my goodness um it is the greatest joy and challenge at the same time um and i say that because i feel very uh lucky to do this work at an institution that is Um, deeply committed to the work. Um, Something that Dr. Salmer, our president, said before I got there was that um, he knew of other presidents that created roles without having done foundational work. um, And the feedback he received from them was that there were some struggles. And so he wanted to make sure that before this position came forward, that the institution had engaged in work in different ways. And so I felt like there was a hunger. There was a desire to kind of take what the institution was doing and, uh, take it to the next level. And at the same time, kind of bring new, new energy and life to the work. Um, and it's been challenging at times too. So I, I'm, I, I appreciate that I am at the cabinet level and uh, I currently serve as the president for our, um, Illinois diversity, uh, community college, um, commission. Mm -hmm. And, um, There are a number of us who are not CDOs uh, that are on that commission, uh, but there are some who are, but the way that we're structured varies so greatly across uh, institutions. There are some folks who are nested one or two levels under um, the president's cabinet. There are some that are in student affairs, some in administrative affairs, some in um, institutional effectiveness. And the titles vary greatly where for some institutions politically, um, it's not entitled, but you have people doing the work. Yeah. Um, and at other institutions, you have a vice president of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, staffing varies wildly. I have, um, for the longest time, I was an office of two. And mm-hmm. other institutions, there might be five or there might be one. It, it, it really varies greatly in terms of how. Um, these roles are structured. And so Uh. it's been interesting because NADHI, our national organization for diversity officers in higher ed, um, their position is that a chief diversity officer should be at the cabinet level and should be supported with uh, human and fiscal resources. But we also know uh, with political climates and kind of readiness of institutions that that varies greatly in how that's executed now. Uh, I share that with... um, talking about my experience that um, because it's inaugural, and there are many of us that are um, uh, inaugural across um, diversity officers across the country, I think Mm -hmm. I was looking at some data that um, 62.9% of us are the first CDOs at our institution, um, and 87.9% of us um, have been in these roles for five years or fewer. Um, and, And so, thinking about that kind of roll out nationally that there are many of us who are figuring out our institutional cultures and trying to figure out how to like design these roles to do the work and then what are the expectations of the work I'll also share that you know uh, and this is public knowledge too so I'm not sharing anything that um, isn't out there um, but you know when my position came up for the institution um, of the board there were you know seven board members elected board members and uh, there was um, five yes/no's, uh, five yes votes and two no votes, mm-hmm. and a long conversation among uh, the trustees and uh, probably over an hour worth of public comment. A lot of folks uh, and a lot of faculty, particularly at ECC um, and and staff, came forward and voiced support for creation of the role and position, and that that made me feel a little bit better coming into. The role.
0: I feel like your position because there's so many n- new folks in this arena based oh, on your statistics, yeah. like you have the opportunity to define what it means to do this work because yeah. Ogden's uh, model is very different. Right, so, yeah. and the different you know.
1: structures might uh, lend to what the identified needs are at the institution. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I know there's some recent changes in that structure here, and I'm, I'm wildly curious as to see, you know, are, are there things in that structure that will help to increase capacity oh, yeah. uh, and awareness. Um, and, you know, we're all looking at each other. I mean, there's a group of folks who um, we we contacted. You know, I'll uh, get a message from the person at COD who's um, recently been appointed, I think, in the last year. Uh, there were three of us that were new in our roles the year mm-hmm. that I started, um, uh, the person at Rock Valley and at Harper. And so it's it's an interesting community as we're all navigating this, but we're all, experiencing it so differently at our institutions like um one of the structural changes with my role which I am uh which I'm totally loving is that uh we've created a new soon success um council our ESAC or equity and soon success Uh action council at Elgin and part of that is because we saw soon success and equity work living in so many different pockets Uh like and it wasn't um as Uh, some things maybe were, how do I put this, Um, needed more structure to move things quicker. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Clark Hallpike, who's one of our business faculty, uh, he had been talking about a black student success mentoring program probably for about 10 years. Um, And some of the conversation lived in committee, it lived in other spaces, but... um, You know, and he had ideas of, you know, piloting a program with 10 to 20 students and having folks from the community, folks internally. And like it was an idea that kind of had some support, but kind of, you know, was in spinning motion for Mm -hmm. so long. Um, And so when we built our council now, um, we've kind of structured it that any new initiatives need to target whole populations can live in... um, uh, incubation for a year, two years tops. Mm. That's, that's the goal that once we hit that end mark, we need to move into implementation. And so, uh, we have this group now that all first time in college back students are being mentored by, um, and we partnered with our affinity group, our, our black Employees support team, uh, best, um, that, um, now we're impacting the whole population of first-time in college black students because that's what we measure against when we look at our data, right? I, I, I get challenged sometimes in thinking about how long can something live in committee? And, you know, we're guilty about that in higher oh, yeah, ed. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, how I'm often
1: do we talk things to death sometimes? Or maybe we don't want to roll things out because they're not perfect. right? Um, and it's like, how do we have an opportunity to also appropriately, you know, we want to stay true to our contractual Um, commitments as well Um, but also thinking about how do our systems and processes allow us to invite more people to the process and execute in the work and and, and I think that's you know getting back to your original question about the two and a half years like um, and I started in the middle of COVID I started july of 21
0: oh same time i started here at Oakden. yeah
1: around the same time yeah and Mm -hmm. so it's like i met a lot of folks in boxes
0: (laughs) that's that was me that was me
1: so like a a lot of the challenge was trying to like where i would have wanted to build connections by six months in i personally i folks might say that they felt like i was doing it i personally didn't feel like i was as connected as i wanted to be but i also you know wanted to kind of take my time and learn the culture, learn the institution. And um, I feel like I was given that support and grace by my colleagues, by my president, uh, um, to really think about how do we structure support. So my hope is this stuff outlasts me. It's, it's building the structures and supports that um, can help us keep doing the good work and that um, invites more people to the party, that we can continue to live this mm-hmm. mission of improving people's lives through learning at, at the college.
0: Stay tuned for part two with Dr. Ramos. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you all next time.